Have you ever thought about or looked at our culture and asked the simple question, how does a movement start? Ever thought about that? How does a movement start? How does something that grows and sweeps across a, a whole entire either nation or world even, how does it even start? And, and not even just a, a moment, but how does something so big and so grand, how does that even begin? If you think about like even forests, forests once all started as little seeds. Something so small has now grown into something so dynamic and so large that it consumes an entire area of land. <clears throat> or what about, uh, I play a lot of softball, but there's guys on my team that are incredibly into this new movement called pickleball. Anybody ever heard of it? Right? I also live in Walker. Did you know that in Walker, there are some tennis courts that now are closed because uh, neighbors and tennis players are mad that pickleballers are taking over. And you're like, pickleball, a sport that essentially was started and designed for, for people who maybe are not quite as nimble and, and mobile to kind of still stay active. And now it's sweeped across. I got guys on my softball team that are like uh, nationally ranked pickleballers. <laughs> Let me, they are ranked to use a plastic paddle and hit a plastic wiffle ball over a three-foot-high net, and they play in tournaments and win trophies and, like, money. I'm like, that sounds really crazy, and I'm like, it sounds like you guys want to sponsor our softball team next year, <laughs> right? We'll be like Pickleballers USA. I don't care what the name is, right? But a pickleball movement, right? Or, or one of my personal favorites, I, I, I wish I was joking. This is a true confession here. Uh, Courtney and I are Swifties. Uh, Taylor Swift, um, I most definitely signed up for the pre-sale second leg of her tour. Um, I did not get tickets. Um, but like, how did this little teenage country singer now is breaking records and shattering all of these records? A movement. I mean, her movement, the movement of the Swifties is literally to the point of people are driving and stopping on the interstate in towns that she's at, and literally just parking their car on their shoulders and getting out and listening to the whole entire concert because it's so loud you can hear it. Like Taylor Swift said no to doing the Super Bowl halftime show, and there's many speculation that would be because her fans would buy up almost all of the tickets just to see her and then leave after halftime. Like, can you imagine that? Like, one of the biggest football games of the year, and half the stadium would be empty. Movements, though. How does it all start? What if I told you, though, that we could watch a movement start and start to understand the process of a movement developing in roughly two and a half minutes? Check this out. Check this video out.
Um, I first got to make sure I clarify this. Number one, um, that most definitely is not me dancing in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Um, number two, that is how my little boys dance, though. I'll tell you what, King Lamar has some moves, and his hips don't lie. Um, and so this idea, though, right, like of a movement, it first starts out with somebody. My favorite line, right, is like, it, it takes the first follower to make a lone nut a leader. I love that. A first follower. A movement. It starts with one and it grows to this place of inviting and accepting others into the journey and also the fun. Like nobody signs up for a movement that is boring. Nobody signs up for a movement that isn't fun. I, I, I truly believe that. I don't look back at, at history or anything and be like, wow, that was a really boring movement that nobody signed up for. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in movement, right? It has to be fun. It has to be attractional. And so uh, I, I understand, and I believe this to the core, I believe that Jesus understood what it means and what it takes to start a movement. I, if you read this, I don't think you can argue that Jesus understood what it, it took to start a movement. But his movement was an internal movement, not just a temporary one, right? And it, it, it's... It's spanning across decades and hundreds of years. So how did Jesus understand what it takes, not just to start a simple movement, but a dynamic, eternal movement that we are even a part of today? And I think it comes down to this, is that as, as we look at the text today, as we look at what I believe, um, a, a very important parable, it's a very short one, I believe that there's a simple truth for us, and it's this, is that God can take small faith, small faith even, small things, and make mountain-moving capabilities. I believe that God can take small faith and make mountain moving capabilities. That's what he's always been about. That's what he's always done. Taking something so small, faith even small, and said like, even with the smallest faith, you can move a mountain. God is about taking small faith and making mountain moving capabilities. I mean, one of Jesus's parables that he taught on is one that we might skim over. It's maybe if you've been in church, maybe you have heard it before. Maybe you're new to this whole church thing or even Jesus guy. That's totally cool, cool, uh, cool that you're here. I'm very thankful for that. And Jesus spoke about this parable. He taught in the reality that even the smallest amount of faith in him, he can use to bring honor and glory all for his kingdom. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, if you have your phone with you, um, flip open to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. We've been here before this summer. This is the last sermon uh, in our series, Kingdom Culture, that we've been journeying in through this summer as we looked at the parables or the stories of Jesus and that he told. And so Matthew 13 is where we're going to be, and it's, it's filled with parables. I mean, you open it up, and the very first parable you see is the parable of the farmer scattering seed. You also get other parables, the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares that we talked about. And then we get to a place of where we're going to be today, the parable of the mustard seed. Parable of the mustard seed. Uh, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. And this is what it says. So here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like, those words we've been really focusing on kind of this, this summer. The kingdom of heaven is like, essentially Jesus is saying is, you want to know what my kingdom is like. You want to know what my kingdom is all about. You want a little taste, a little glimmer of it? This is what it's like. I'm going to tell you a short story that's going to help you understand my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like 
a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. Birds come and make nests in its branches. There's a few things we have to dissect in these two verses here. It's two verses. It's pretty short, but there's actually a lot that Jesus is doing in these two verses. First and foremost, Jesus may be, and I believe, prophetically speaking and sharing about the growth of his kingdom, not only in his current context, but is what also is yet to come. So as Jesus is talking, he talks about, my kingdom is like this. The kingdom of of God is like this. It's like a mustard seed planted in a field, and it grows to become an incredibly large tree. He's talking prophetically about what the kingdom of God is going to be like, not just here and now, but also for him in the future, what we experience even today. I mean, if you take a look and if you even remember what the kingdom of God would have looked like, started out like. Think back to that, that video we just watched. Here's this radical rabbi comes, in the form, comes from the ghetto that he was born in. He's this radical dude. Jesus essentially is like the shirtless dancing dude. He sticks out. He's different. There's something about him that is intriguing. And many people, the religious Pharisees would have said, he is also a crazy lone nut. He's teaching new things. He's flipping the culture upside down. He's, he's flipping the law upside down. And, and then what does he do? And he doesn't get rid of it, but no, rather what he does is he fulfills it. And he changes the perspective of those listening. It's invitational. It's attractive. It's, it's different. And then there's the moment where probably the first few disciples come, and they're inviting others to come and join him. He's taken 12 young men, all who were deemed unfit or even unworthy to be disciples culturally, and he chose them to bring his message to the world. The first followers, and what do they do? Hey, you have to come with me and and follow this radical man called Jesus. Let me tell you about him. You can almost picture Peter, James, and John standing there as they're dancing with Jesus, inviting other people to come join the movement. They've gotten a taste. He's accepted them into it, and now they're saying, come taste and see. But there's a moment, right? Where, where momentum has to really hit the floor, where the masses come. And I would dare say that it's the moment where Jesus fulfilled what he prophesied, that I'm going to die a brutal death. I will be buried and I'll be in the tomb, but after three days, have no fear, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And when he rose from the dead and he, he appeared again and his spirit is with us and, and with them, you almost see the more masses joining in, the the Marys and the others sharing and testifying about his resurrection, about this Jesus. And his message, his truth has spread across the globe. And for years upon years upon years, people are joining in the movement. Masses join in. They see the movement as God's movement in their life. But it all started with this one crazy lone nut, a radical rabbi. 
It all started with one. And, and you can almost picture as he's talking about planting seeds, the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed is a very small seed. If I were to hold one up, most of you probably here would not be able to see it from where you're sitting to the stage. It's a very small seed. But yet, as Jesus talks about the seed that gets planted, the mustard seed that gets planted, it says it grows to a place where it's one of the largest ones in the field, in the garden that it's planted in. It grows into a tree. That's interesting here. Because we have to understand what what is Jesus really talking about? I, I think that Jesus is really talking about the heart of the Father and the heart of him. That their heart is for the world to be reconciled back to him. The heart is for this world to be reconciled back to him. Because what does it say towards the end of it, right? Birds come and make nests in its branches. Essentially, birds come and make a home. They make a home. He wants... He wants the, the tree is an illustration of what it means to be a refuge for all of the broken world. And cultural relevance here is this, is that most of the time, especially where Jesus was speaking, a mustard seed would not grow larger than a bush. And so when he says it grows through the form of a tree, it's, it's a little different for them because they're like, wow, a tree, like that's, that's bigger than what we're used to. It's bigger than what they're expecting. And so the seed, the seed of the kingdom grows radically larger, bigger and grander, and more abundant than they even thought. And it's an unlikely place for a bird to build its nest. But, but this one, this tree, this mustard tree, this is a tree so grand, so big, that a bird can find a refuge and make a home in it. Birds often are also used in the Bible as an illustration of the evil in the world. Birds often are used as an illustration of the evil in this world. So even this mustard seed is going to grow to a place of bringing tree, uh, a big tree, which will bring refuge even for a broken world. It's not, it's not just for the ones that believe, it's for a broken world as well. And its seed will grow and has grown greater and bigger and more fruitful than anything ever before seen or anything ever before thought of. Why? Because at the end of the day, God and only God can take small faith and make mountain-moving capabilities. He and only he can take small amounts of faith and grow something radical. For many of us, including myself, let's just call it what it is, we would wish that growth would happen without any struggles in life. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who has gone through certain stuff in life that I was like, you know, God, if I was you, anybody ever say that to God? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever said to him, right? If I was you, though, I would have done it this way. I think this is an easier way. It's less painful. <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. It's easier I don't have to struggle. Like, that's how I would have done it. And then it's that moment where God gently reminds you, right? Yeah, but Kyle, if you were God, we'd all be doomed. <laughs> and I'm, it's that gentle, you're right, man, you're right. You know, you're right. I'll let you do God, I'll do me, and I'll follow you. But we all go through those moments, those seasons in life. And oftentimes when 
in our lives when darkness or struggles or hardships come, we call them storms. Storms. Anybody ever felt like they were going through a storm in life and you didn't know what way was up? I mean, we were, we were sitting, there's, there's 12 of us sitting here Thursday night in the coffee lounge. We didn't know. <laughs> As in, our phones didn't go off and the sirens didn't go off until after the tornado had passed. And we casually were like, oh, it's thundering out. Like, oh, it's a thunderstorm. Cool. And then it's like we start hearing the rain a little bit harder. And we're like, wow, that sounds, man, it's like really raining out. We should open up the blinds and see what's actually going on. How bad is it raining? So we open the blinds and we're like, trees don't bend that way. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then like people, again, who are not Kyle, are like, we should move away from windows. <laughs> and I'm like, that's actually very smart. Like, we should move away from windows. Um, storms, though, right? Chaos. Storms. Storms are things we don't like. Storms are things that we feel break us. They hurt us. Storms make us uncomfortable. They make us frustrated. Sometimes storms make us have to wait because situations and circumstances are outside of our control. But what if, what if there's something good and healthy in the storms of our lives as well? Storms make trees take deeper roots. Storms make trees take deeper roots. As the rain falls, the soil becomes a little bit softer comes a little bit more loose. So if a tree is supposed to stand, it's, its roots got to go deeper. It has to seek in a little harder. Storms make trees take deeper roots. And as the winds come and the roots have to expand, not just deep, but also out, so that they can withstand the winds of the world that are blowing. They don't want to tip over and they don't want to move. So not only do they got to go deeper, but they start having to go out. And there's some plants that even as the wind blows and as they go deeper and they go out, they start to understand that there's other plants, there's other trees around them. And so what do they do is they, they start to interlock the roots together. If you ever go to California, the great redwoods, it's some of the most in beautiful, incredible trees. Courtney and I went for a vacation one time. And as we were there, we, we just started to look at all of these trees. And this dude who I swear lives in a van down by the river walks up to us and he's like, do you know why these trees are so incredible? And we're like, because they're really big? I don't know. Does it look like we're really nature people in our like Birkenstocks? No, we're hiking and she's in flip-flops. I'm in spares. I can't talk, right? <laughs> but like, they're like, no, it's because the roots start to intertwine underground. So as in California, as, as winds come and the elements start to impact them. They rely on each other in the root system. They're foundations that are together to hold each other up. So when a younger tree maybe doesn't have as strong of roots, it can rely on the older trees, the more secure trees that have been around a little bit longer, who have braved a few more storms in their life to help hold them up so that one day, they, as they mature and they grow, they can do the same for other younger trees.
can't talk with my hands anymore. Um, is that not what the church, though, is supposed to be like? We've weathered some storms. You've weathered some storms. I've weathered some storms. And the storms in your life and the storms in my life have made my roots have to go down deeper. Why do I believe what do I believe? Do I really believe that this God that we serve is good? Do I really believe that he is faithful to what he has said? Do I really believe that even in the storms and the brokenness and the hardships of your life and my life, that he is a God who is faithful? And here's what I want to share is that as my roots and your roots have gone deeper and we've started to spread out, the beauty of the church, the beauty of what Christ has, has modeled and shown in how he started his movement is it's not just a one-person thing. It's a communal movement together. So as I'm weathering storms, I am so thankful, thank you, Jesus, that there were people around me who locked with my roots to hold me up when I couldn't hold myself up, Right? And you have weathered some storms that I maybe have not weathered, but my roots have allowed it to cross and intertwine with some of your roots so that when you walk through a storm, you can be held up when you don't even feel you're strong enough. Is this not what we are called to do and to be? God has planted faith. God has planted unique and beautiful things in each and every one of us. And can I just say, just maybe once again, for some of us, that he is faithful to see the fruit come for what he has planted. What he has planted, he is faithful to see it grow. And as we go through the storms, he continues to grow us deeper, to grow us wider, and to grow us together. He's given us a physical example and a blueprint just in nature alone of what it looks like for us to grow together. See, the small seed of his kingdom will and is growing deeper roots, wider roots, stronger roots, as his people lean in more to his spirit than ever before. As we trust him, even the brokenness in our world even the broken things in our world and the broken things in our lives, as weird as it sounds, we'll find refuge in the hope of Jesus Christ because he is big enough, he is strong enough to weather anything that comes his way because he is faithful. The other tension that I've, I've felt with this passage is, is, and again, maybe it's just me, I struggle with the storm of certainty versus faith. Anybody else? Certainty versus faith. I like knowing some stuff, right? I like being certain about some stuff. The important thing to remember, though, about this parable is that God requires our faith, and he does not require our certainty. He requires our faith. He does not require our certainty. I mean, if you just go back and look, what is the difference here, you, you might ask? Great question. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it tells us this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith, we don't have to have certainty. It, it's very different from having certainty, which relies on a definite outcome ahead. See, if you plant a seed, you have faith that it will what? Grow. 
grow, right? You have faith that it will grow. And as it grows, you have faith that it will produce fruit. At least that's what you hope for, right? All of these apple orchards just right down the road from us, they don't plant a seed and be like, I don't know, hopefully it grows me a motorcycle. No, they plant a seed and they say, I hope it's going to grow and I hope it's going to produce apples. They have faith that as they continue to walk in what they are called to cultivate it, to grow it, to develop it, that it will grow and produce the fruit. We don't have certainty, though, that it will. There's trees that they've planted that produce no fruit. There's things that we do that we're not certain if it's going to work out or not. We're not certain that it's going to produce what we think it will. We have faith. We might hope for it, but there's not a certainty in that. And I would say that maybe, just maybe, hear me on this. The reason God prefers our faith is because it shows him that we trust him. It shows him that we value following him regardless of whatever might happen. My faith in God, your faith in God, it shows him the value that we have in him of saying, like, God, I don't know where this might take me, but I'll trust you in it. I'm going to hope for your favor and your blessing upon it. But I don't have certainty. I think that there's so many moves of faith that we've had to take as a church. Starting hand-to-hand in a food pantry. Step of faith. We weren't certain it was going to work out. We weren't certain that kids were actually going to take home food that we give them. We had faith that God was going to use it and do something. Uh, I mean, starting a youth ministry, it's always a step of faith. Culture in today's world is tough. And we had faith that God was going to bless it. We had faith that students were going to come and hear the good news, the gospel. Were we certain about it? No. We took faith as we opened another children's ministry class. Is this going to work out? We need more volunteers. Do we have certainty? No. I mean, we had faith that God provide the right worship pastor. Abby and Parker had to walk in faith to leave where they were to walk here. And did they have certainty? Probably not. I mean, let's just be real. Like the first few weeks that they've been here in Michigan, I was gone. I mean, like, did we even have a pastor? But there's this reality, right, of walking in faith. God will trust you in providing. God will trust you in your direction, will trust you in your will. Certainty? No? Faith? Yeah. As we struggle with the storms in our lives that we go through, the darkness, the hardships, the frustrating moments, I think we also struggle in that storm often of certainty versus faith. And I think there's so much of a beauty when we trust God in our faith and say, God, I'm not certain about this, but I trust you. I have faith in you and you alone. It's that moment of God can take small faith things and make mountain-moving capabilities. 
mountain moving capabilities. Steve talked about a little bit earlier of, of we have a baptism service this afternoon with our sister church. I, I started to think this morning, um, when I got baptized, it still was in the storm of the brokenness of our lives, of uh, broken divorce, and, and um, I still was struggling with faith. Like, I didn't even know if I liked God, let alone love him. And I remember my mentor, one of those guys that allowed my roots to start to intertwine with his and holding me up through the storms in life. He just started to talk about like, Kyle, like this is what baptism is. If you put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus is the public declaration of the internal revelation that has started in you. And it's you saying publicly that, God, I'm going to put my faith in you and trust in you. From this moment forward, I'm going to walk in what you are calling me to walk in. He goes, I know you're struggling, but Kyle, here's the deal. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. I was like, that's great. I don't even know if I have all my ducks. I think one of them is swimming somewhere. And I think the other one might be like a goose. I don't even know, right? But he's like, it's, it's okay. God doesn't say get all your stuff together and then come follow me. He says, hey, bring the baggage, bring the brokenness, bring all your confused little ducklings because you are one too and follow me. There's some of us maybe in this room today that have never been baptized. And you've just been saying, ah, it's just not the right time. You know, it's just not the right time for me. I know I need to do it. Next one. But the next one comes and it's like, ah, you know what, man? I just got my hair done. It's just not the right time. Next one. There's some of us that Maybe for some of you, you've been wrestling with this idea of like, well, maybe I was, I was baptized as a kid. I was baptized as a baby. I don't remember it. But you've been feeling this, this tug. For you personally to just make a stand, a declaration of this is my faith. God's been faithful. He's been good. I'm going to step in the water. And we can give all the excuses, right? Like, oh, I did it already. Like, I think I'm good. But you've been feeling this nudge of the Holy Spirit to publicly make this your faith. Not something that you were told to believe in or, or you were brought into like. Can I just urge you, if, if today is your day, would you prayerfully wrestle with God if baptism this afternoon is for you? There's some of us that are on this journey this year of saying like, okay, God, I don't know what you're calling me into, but I have faith in you. I'll walk in it. Today might be that day where you say, like, I need to get baptized. I don't know where you're at in your journey. I don't know what storms you might be living in and what storms you might be coming out of. To be honest with you, I don't even know if all of us have our ducks, let alone have them all in a row. What I do know is God is inviting us in to watch his, his kingdom his presence grow in our lives. The question is, do we have the faith that he's faithful in it? Do we have the faith? The smallest amount of faith can move mountains. Do we trust his words in that?
As we as we close today, as uh, Katie comes up, we know that growth only comes when things are planted. A, a seed, if I put it right here on my table, will not grow. A seed has to be planted, has to be sown. I've discovered a few things of, like, there's only really one substance that's really conducive to good growth. Dirt. If I go and drill a little hole in our sidewalk and put a seed in it and then cover it up with cement, is that seed going to grow? No. But if I go and I dig a hole in the dirt and I place a seed in it, dirt is the only substance that is conducive to growth and seeds being planted. And can I share something with you all? I mean this with all the love. Y'all are dirty. I'm dirty. Dirt is the only substance that's conducive to growth. I don't think that is, it's, I don't think it's coincidence that we're, it, we're told that in Genesis that God forms man, the first man, Adam, out of what? Dirt. He gets dirty. He forms him out of dirt and he breathes his spirit into him. He plants a seed, a reflection of himself into him, and, and he grows. He, he, he develops. He, he's made in the image of God. And, and I, I truly believe that we are made in the image of God. We're dirty. We're messed up. We're totally messed up. Some of us walked in here today just having the, the biggest fight with our spouse. And we walk in the doors and we're like, okay, hey, everything's good, right? We're good? At least play it. Some of us walked in and, and, and it feels like there's no hope for us tomorrow. We just got the worst news of our lives. But we're good. Don't let people know that you're dirty. Can I just share that there is, God has planted and is growing stuff in you no matter what storm you may be facing today. God is growing something in you and, and he wants to grow his faith in him in the season that you are walking in. The darkness of a job loss, God is growing something in you. The darkness and the loneliness of a miscarriage, God is growing something in you. The uncertainty of infertility, God is growing something in you. What is he growing in you as you felt the pruning of the people in your life? Friendships are disintegrating and, and totally leaving your life. What is God growing in you that only he can grow? In the season you may be in, in the storm you may be facing right now, what toxic relationships is he removing? Because he's growing something in you. What long-time friendships is he dissolving? What false beliefs that you've held on to? What idols have you clung on to? What things in your life have you elevated above him that he is removing and shattering today, this morning in your life because he is growing something new in you? I truly believe that God is inviting us into a growing relationship, a relationship with him. It's a relationship that we don't have to have this absolute certainty of what will happen tomorrow, not even in two hours. 
but rather a relationship in, in our lives with him that we will have radical faith, that if he says move, we will move. And if he says, I've got you, just wait, we will wait. We are invited into a radical relationship with him because he is a God who can take small faith, the smallest amounts of faith, and he can move mountains. What today? What today do you need to surrender? Surrender your certainty to trust the seeds that he has grown in your life. Because the radical rabbi who is a shirtless dancing man is inviting us into his movement. We don't have to have it all together. He just says, come, taste, and see. Would you stand with me and pray? Holy Spirit, as we just come before you, we fall, we fall down at your feet. God, we just fall down at your feet. We acknowledge that we maybe have been holding on to some false idols, some false ideas, some false beliefs. And we just simply repent of that, Lord. And God, we just ask that you would just pour out your spirit afresh on us. God, I just ask that your spirit would fall down like the rain came down on Thursday night. I ask that it would be in abundance. I say you would flood this place with your spirit. God, I even ask that you would just remove roofs and obstacles that we have planted and put around us that don't need to be there. God, I just ask that your spirit would just move in, that your spirit would consume us, and that as you prune and as you remove what needs to be removed, that you would just remind us that you are the good gardener, that what you plant, you are faithful to see grow. And so, Lord, I ask for good fruit, fruit that is of you, that reflects you. And, Lord, I ask that today, if, if there's people here who are wrestling with, is today my day to get baptized later? Lord, I, I ask that you would speak clearly to them. I ask that it wouldn't be an emotional thing. It wouldn't be an emotional decision, but rather, Lord, that it would be a spiritual one. It would be a spiritual decision to say that today is my day to publicly announce that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've repented of my brokenness. And I follow and I trust and I'm only walking in faith with him. So Lord, would you just speak? Would you just move? We're so thankful that you are a God of relationships. And so Lord, during this next song, we just simply ask, come Holy Spirit.